As we continue now in our study in the life of Joseph and our studies in Genesis, we come to this remarkable set of circumstances. Everything that's happened to this man is really quite remarkable in so many ways. But he has this encounter with the wife of his master. Let's remember at this point he's been sold into slavery, but in God's good providence, he's found favor with the man, as we heard in the reading, Potiphar, in verses 7 through 26 of Genesis 39. He really likes Joseph. He puts him in charge of his whole household. But then there's this rather challenging, really menacing problem that threatens everything in Joseph's life. I had a friend who was telling me about uh, a technique that his son would use often when he played soccer. He said that he told his father that when he had the ball at his feet and he was trying to dribble past an opposing player, he would all of a sudden say, hey, look over there, to distract you know, the opposing player's attention. And when his opponent would you know, freeze up for a second and look over there, well, he'd just go right on by him with the ball. Now, uh, I don't know enough about the rules of soccer to know if that type of tactic is legal, but if you've ever played sports at just about anything other than backyard level, you know that illegal tactics are a normal part of these games, unfortunately. But that is a simple method of getting by your opponent. And that type of simplicity is like a scheme that Satan often uses on Christians. You see, friends, the devil has developed... A thousand ways to say, hey, look over there. All he does is draw our attention away from obeying the Lord in every area of life. And before we know it, we find ourselves doing things other than serving and glorifying God. So in this study today, as I said, we're continuing, as you heard, in the life of Joseph. And among several very important lessons that I believe we're taught from this chapter, the Lord uses this episode in the life of Joseph so that we can learn something about having victory over temptation. And I would especially ask you to consider the verse 9 that we heard earlier, as we read just a moment ago, where Joseph, in struggling with this temptation, he asked this question, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now let's admit and agree that if you are alive, if you're a living human being, you're going to be tempted. As a child, your parents may have told you not to touch something and you find yourself torn between obeying your parents or or giving in to the temptation. Or perhaps as an adult, maybe you were trying to lose weight, you go on a diet. Or maybe you've tried to uh, quit smoking if you had that, that issue, that problem. And you know very well how temptation is your constant compassion, companion Excuse me, in those circumstances. Adam and Eve, of course, were the first people ever to face temptation. But even our Lord Jesus himself underwent temptation. As we heard even in our New Testament reading in Hebrews chapter 4, it reminds us that Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are, yet he was without sin. But now even though we must constantly deal with temptation, the word of God instructs us and guides us that we do not have to be defeated by temptation. It is possible to be tempted in something and yet not give in to the temptation. And my friends, there is no better example of that kind of victory than this episode in the life of Joseph. Joseph proved himself 
to, to sort of recapitulate, he proved himself such a trustworthy servant that Potiphar, his master, his owner, placed him in charge of all of the affairs of his household. Now, whatever it may appear on the surface, you and I know, because the Word of God tells us, that Joseph's good fortune was no accident. This isn't luck. This isn't happenstance or chance. It is the providential guiding hand of God over the lives of men. That is the real reason Joseph found favor in the eyes of his master. But very early in this road to success, if you will, he encounters a potentially devastating temptation. His master's wife has begun to make advances toward Joseph. But Joseph, as we have seen, stridently and steadfastly refuses to give in to the advances. But the woman was so persistent that at one point she grabs him by the coat, but Joseph slips out of his coat and runs away, leaving her holding his coat in her hand. And with his coat in her hand, she uses that scenario to charge Joseph with attempting to rape her. Now, Joseph, for his part, once more finds himself, as he has several times now, ambushed and cast into a jail or a prison cell. And as we examine how Joseph deals with the temptations that have confronted him in this chapter, we see, at least I'm going to suggest, there are three ways that we can triumph over the temptations that we face in our lives. Here is the first. We can triumph over temptation by remembering how much you and I owe God. When Joseph was being tempted into doing this bad thing, he remembered how he was indebted to his master Potiphar. And we learn and heard in verse 8 that Potiphar, as I said, put him in charge of everything, all the administrative duties, and that was no minor thing for a slave. But Joseph remembered at the moment of his temptation just how much he owed that man and how kind he had been to him. But more importantly, as I mentioned a moment ago in verse 9, that for Joseph, as bad as it would be to betray his master in that way, it was far worse. It was a far greater concern to him that in doing this sinful thing, he would be sinning against God. Now, under this idea of resisting temptation by remembering how much we owe God, let me say that we need to remember that we have that primary allegiance. Our primary allegiance is to God. Whenever we are tempted to sin, we need to stop, take a deep breath, Sit down and think. Think and remember that if we claim to be Christians, then Jesus Christ is our Lord and Master, and we owe allegiance to Him first and foremost. As a Christian, our primary purpose in life, your primary purpose in life, is not just to satisfy every urge and desire that comes your way. If you're a Christian, your first and primary goal in allegiance is to God and His law. But in the same way, no matter who we are and what our status in life is, when we give in to temptation, it affects other people. You see, sin is selfish. It looks for one thing and one thing only, the satisfaction of one's desires, no matter what may happen or result. And whether you're married or not, whether you're young or old, whether you're male or female, when you sin... It has ripple effects that affect the lives of those around you. Now, some people, in trying to rationalize, uh, to, to, to give in to the temptation, 
and living in sin, they will say something like this. Well, my sin, and you can fill in the blank there, it doesn't matter what it is, my sin is just between me and God, or me and my spouse, or me and my lover, or just me. In other words, such people deny that sin has consequences that can adversely affect other people who may not even be directly involved. Now, our libertarian friends say that we should not punish victimless crimes. In other words, that you, they see you as a sovereign individual, and if there's certain things that you want to do to yourself that maybe on some level, if you were doing them to somebody else, might be criminal, because you're doing it to yourself, they should not be criminalized. But friends, in the example I'm just about to share with you, there's no such thing as a victimless crime. Dr. R.C. Sproul of Blessed Memory he told a story one time, you can find this in his video series on Christian marriage, how he was called into a counseling situation with a husband and wife in which there had been infidelity in the marriage. The husband had been involved in an affair, and he angrily told Dr. Sproul that this love triangle was between himself and his wife and his mistress, and it was nobody's business but theirs. And Dr. Sproul says in the video, that what that man did not know was that he, Dr. Sproul, had no less than 25 counseling appointments set up in which people were coming to speak with him all because of the conflict in that one marriage. He said there were the children, the cousins, parents on both sides, close friends, neighbors, all of whom who had been impacted by this husband giving in to his temptations. My friends, contrary to the libertarians, Sin is never just a private matter. And one day, and one way, excuse me, we can defeat temptation is by taking time for just a moment, taking time out and considering the feelings of others who will be affected by what we are going to do. Again, you fill in that the example that we have here in Scripture in Joseph and this man's wife but you could say, if you give in to drinking more alcohol, if you give in to breaking your diet or smoking more cigarettes or, or whatever it may be. Several years ago, there was a story in the newspapers about certain members of a nationally ranked college football team who were approached by some professional gamblers. And they were, the team members were offered money. They were bribed to fix a playoff game. But those young men refused the bribe money and immediately they contacted the authorities. And when asked about why they did what they did, they all said that to succumb to that temptation, to take money, to get a lot of money to throw a game, that would be to hurt the team, hurt the fans, hurt their coaches, and hurt the university. So friends, the first step in your getting victory over temptation is to remember. Remember how much you owe God and remember the relationships you are going to affect by giving in to whatever that temptation is. Secondly... Realize that sin is rebellion against Almighty God. See, the Bible's message is clear. Sin is wrong. Now, that may not sit well with those who hate God and hate His law, but Joseph understood that well enough. Oh, sure, he could have rationalized it, and he could have tried to get around it by, say, convincing himself that, hey, you know, my life's been a total nightmare up to this point. I'm due a little pleasure out of life. Or he could have gone to seek the advice of someone who would tell him just what he wanted to hear. Somebody to say, you know what, Joseph, you've got to look out for number one. 
But Joseph didn't do that, did he? No, he knew what too many of us in our day want to forget. Sin is wrong and wickedness is displeasing to God. But also, not only is it rebellion against God, and in a similar way, it's defiance of God. All sin, no matter what it is, no matter how big or small, no matter how ugly or pretty, all sin is ultimately against the sovereign God of the Bible. King David captured this so very well in Psalm 51, where he wrote concerning his sins. He says, speaking to the Lord against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And whether or not people like it, God Almighty has established moral laws that are binding on every human being. And those laws are summarized for us in the Ten Commandments. And those laws reflect the character of God himself. And to break those laws is defiant rebellion against the God who gave them to us. And that kind of rebellion will only lead sooner or later to pain, loss, and suffering. The Lord has said, this is the path of life. This is the path of prosperity, of blessing, of flourishing. But if you get off the path, if you violate the law, you will pay the penalty. Thirdly, and finally, in dealing with temptation, you can just simply avoid it. Avoid the temptation. You know, in the book of James chapter 4, verse 7, it tells us that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Paul, in his writings to the church at Corinth and to his young convert, Timothy, he repeatedly exhorts him to flee temptations that lead to sin. Now, avoiding temptation really makes a lot of sense. But how often do we use common sense when we're being tempted? You know, maybe you're a person who is tempted to use your credit card to buy something that, if you would be honest with yourself, you know that you don't need it and you don't have the money to pay for it. So what do you do? Do you do the logical and the simplest thing to do to avoid the temptation, like throw away the credit card? Or maybe you're a person tempted to view immoral and indecent things on television or online. Do you go out of your way to avoid those things so you're not tempted? Joseph demonstrates how using your head just a little bit can help you triumph over temptation. When Potiphar's wife kept after him, even at one point grabbing him by the sleeve of the coat, what did Joseph do? Did he say, uh, okay, Mrs. Potiphar, you've been after me for a long time now. Why don't we go down to the local restaurant here and have lunch together and talk this over? No, he didn't do that. That wouldn't have made much sense, would it? No, what Joseph did was to run. He ran away, even leaving his coat behind, rather than expose himself to more temptation. You know, we've all had much to do in recent years to avoid getting sick. You know, but how many of us avoid the temptations like sin, like we avoid, say, getting infected with some disease? Beloved friends, the reason we must flee from and avoid and run away from temptation is because we should never underestimate the power of sin. Let me say that one more time. Never underestimate the power of sin. And likewise, maybe even worse, is to overestimate your ability, our ability to resist sin. Don't ever underestimate the power of sin and don't ever overestimate what you think is your ability to resist it. So that's why the best thing to do is simply avoid the temptation. There's a story about uh, President Theodore Roosevelt. It seems that he had uh, a little dog that he was uh, fond of, 
But the little dog always kept getting into fights with bigger dogs. And on one occasion, that little dog went after an old mangy mutt, and the old dog chased the dog, president's dog off with his little tail between his legs, yelping and, and whining. And somebody commented to President Theodore Roosevelt, he said, you know, your little dog, well, he's not much of a fighter, is he? And President Roosevelt said, oh, yes, he's a very good fighter, but he's just a poor judge of dogs. Don't ever underestimate the power of sin and don't ever overestimate your strength to resist it. Too often, we Christians are like the little boy whose father told him, son, I don't want you going swimming today. But then later, the father caught the boy in the water swimming and he said, the boy said, well, I didn't mean to do it, to which his father asked him, well, if you didn't mean to do it, then why do you have your bathing suit with you? Oh, the little boy said, you know, I, uh, I bought it, uh, excuse me, I brought it with me in case I was tempted to swim. See, that little boy was making provision for temptation. It's sort of like people who swear off smoking cigarettes and then they carry a pack around them with them just in case they need one. Or, you know, uh, the same thing with swearing off a diet. Paul says in Romans 13, 14, not to make provision for the gratifying the desires of the flesh. You know that birds sometimes exercise more good sense than we humans do. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon wrote that it is a waste of time to spread out a net right where the birds can see it. If your goal is to catch a bird, don't spread the net out where the birds can see it. You see, birds are smart enough to flee when they see a net being spread out to catch them. But how often do you and I make provision for temptation and sin, and we just rush headlong into the snares of the devil? A friend of mine told me a story about a farmer who was having problems with crows eating his corn. And so he went out and he took some string and he roped it, up, roped it around about five feet off the ground around the, the bottom parts of some trees which were located very near the corn crop. And so he went out and he took that string and he did that and he assumed that the crows were probably watching him and the birds would get a little bit nervous about what he was up to. And it turned out he was right. Those crows stopped eating the corn. They didn't even want to take a chance on being caught in what they thought was a net. My friends, as we reflect on the lessons of this chapter, we need to be on our guard because the devil is stringing a trap for us. Learn a lesson from Joseph. Flee temptation. And don't even leave a forwarding address. Let us pray.